Amen. Thank you, Tanner. Love worshiping at Connect Church. Isn't it awesome? Give God a round of applause, man. Love being here in the house, sensing his presence in worship today. I'm going to talk to you about that in just a minute. Well, my name is Terry Pierce, and I have the wonderful privilege of being the lead pastor here at Connect Church on most days. is awesome, and uh, we're so thankful to be sharing with you guys today. We are on a, we're in week four of a journey, verse by verse, through the book of Philippians. We preach the Bible here, and we are simply calling this series, this book, uh, A Joy in the Journey. And so we're thankful to have you a part of that. Let's dive in uh, to our message today. So, uh, a pastor by the name of Tony was traveling, and uh, he was traveling back on, and, and from a vacation, and he pulled into a gas station to get a bottle of water, and uh, the cashier began to ask him some questions, and it was really weird and very uncomfortable for Pastor Tony, and so the guy just said, and he started off, and he, you know, he just said, uh, so, uh, do you know, uh, he said, do you know that you look like Pitbull? And James, the preacher, was like me. He was bald-headed. And so, you know, he said, no, I don't know Pitbull. He said, well, you look just like him. And he was thinking, boy, this guy's, you know, a little weird. And then uh, he asked him, he said, uh, of course, he didn't know who he was. So he just said, sir, he said, uh, how old are you? And Pastor Tony was like most preachers. You know, he just simply wanted to go in. He's got a busy schedule. He's got stuff to do. And he just wanted to go in and get a bottle of water, dude. But, you know, this guy was playing 20 questions. So he said, how old are you? So Pastor Tony, trying to be nice and courteous, said, well, I'm 37. And then it got really weird. The cashier, the guy cashier looks at Tony and he says, are you married? Well, Tony, Pastor Tony gets a little wigged out at this point, And uh, he doesn't know if this guy's hitting on him or what. So he just simply says, uh, yes, and I'm happily married. And uh, so uh, the cashier didn't stop at that. And he says, well, that's just so stupid. And he just, he says, let me give you some advice. And the cashier says to Pastor Tony, he says, you're only 37 and you're married. He said, that's just stupid. He said, what you should have is you need more women in your life. Nobody should get married that young. You just need to have a whole lot more women in your life. And Pastor Tony was just stunned. And he said, well, sir, with all due respect, that is a way big lie. There's no truth in that whatsoever. And the cashier just wouldn't let it go. And so he looks at him and he says, no, I'm telling you, you need all the women in your life that you can get. And Pastor Tony said, and had enough at this point. And he said, let me give you some advice. And he's a pastor. He said, I have three points. And he said, uh, number one, point number one, is he said, sir, he had had enough. You need Jesus. Point number two, after you get Jesus, you need to get married to one woman. And then number three, after you get Jesus, you get married to one woman. And then number three, he said, you need to rethink your life. He said, your outlook on life is totally skewed in the wrong way. You need to rethink how you're living your life, and he walked out. And the truth of the matter is, is that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to say to the church at Philippi here in chapter 2. He is going to say, if you really want to have joy in your life, listen to me this morning, is anybody in here want some joy in your life? Do you want any joy in your life? You're listening online today. You want joy in your life? Then I'm telling you, you are going to need to rethink 
how you see joy in your life. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to unpack for us today. We need to rethink what joy really is and understand and define it for us today. And matter of fact, he's going to teach us that we need to adopt the mindset of Christ. Specifically, he's going to tell the church at Philippi, we need to adopt the attitude of Jesus as he went to the cross. So let me ask you one last time this morning. In all of this introduction, do you think a message about how to have the attitude of Jesus Christ in the cross could help you find joy? Are you with me this morning? Yes or no? Are you with me? Well, good. Uh, four of you are, because that's what I'm going to preach on today. So buckle up, Susie. That's where we're going. All right. Here's what we're talking to you guys about today. We Joy is having the mind of Christ. Joy is having the mind of Christ. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and uh, that's where we're going to launch from today. So, by the way, as you're turning in your Bibles, let me just give a little bit more detail advice to those that think like the cashier. You're stupid. Let me define that even better. You don't need more women in your life. (laughs) I'm going there. I'm going there. I've been married for a long time. Dang it, I was supposed to remember that day. Anyway, it's, it's up there. Hopefully still will be. But I've been married for over 30 years. Anyway, and uh, you give me a number. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, bail me out here. But uh, I've been married for over 30 years, and I've come to the conclusion, to just honest confession to you today, that I only need one woman in my life. Because after 30 years, I still haven't figured her out. And there's still things that are very complex to me. And I've determined that going forward, I don't need any other complexity in my life. One woman is great, and I'm committed to you, babe, and I'm going forward with one woman in my life, and I would advise you to do the same. So anyway, just saying uh, on that advice, but that leads into also what I want to say this morning, and it's good, it's good, Uh, but I just want to say this morning that if you're looking to find joy in more women, in money, in power, in whatever thing that you think but maybe it's people. Some of you all think that your happiness and joy is in your kids. You're in the Southern culture, and we worship our kids. Wrong. Some of you think in the culture that we're supposed to worship our spouse. If I can't have my spouse, then I'm never going to be happy. Wrong. Your joy changed your mindset and thinking. You've been lied to. You've been lied to. Biblical Christianity... Thinking like Christ means that I come to understand the only way I'm really going to have lasting joy in my life is in a relationship with Jesus. He's all I need. He's all I need. He's all I need. Everything else is a blessing. We keep worshiping the blessings rather than the blessor. We do. We keep worshiping the blessings rather than the blessor. And so here's what Dr. Warren Wiersbe summarizes this text. And this is really, you want to write this down. The secret of joy 
in spite of circumstances, is the single-focused mind. It's easy for me to say. What, what Dr. Wearsby's saying, let me just pause on that first phrase. He's saying that we've got to have a single focus on the mind of Christ. We've got to focus on what Christ and how he sees our circumstances. Now hear me this morning. If you keep trying to say, well, Pastor Terry, you don't know how miserable my life is. You don't know the health issues I'm facing. You don't know this. You don't know that. Folks, I'm just telling you, Christ supersedes and overcomes your circumstances. Take your eyes off the circumstances and put your eyes upon a person, and his name is Jesus. And then look at the next phrase, which is really good. The secret of joy in spite of people is the submissive mind. I know where I'm preaching at, and I know this rubs against the grain, and I know we're going to have folks who won't come back because of this, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's truth and it is crippling. It is crippling so many people in their lives, and you're miserable because of it, and you haven't figured this out yet. If you, if you try to put your joy in people, and I'm talking about family, friends, if you try to put your joy in, your, in people, and I know for you people that this, this is going to be hard to swallow, but the truth is people will always hurt you. Let me say it again because some of you can't get this thing down. People will always hurt you. People will always let you down and disappoint you because we're sin cursed. You hurt people. You let people down. You fail in your life. You're not all that you think that you are as well. And I'm just telling you it's going to happen over and over again. You have to choose. My joy is not in people. My joy is in my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, people start looking a whole lot better to you when you put Jesus as the center of your life. You're going to be able to love people you never dreamed you could whenever you find your joy in Jesus first. And so Dr. Wearsby summarizes what Paul was saying to the church at Philippi. And he was reminding them that, listen, he said, if we're going to really take on the mind of Christ, then we have to understand, and this is what Paul is going to talk about in chapter 2, humility and unity. He reminds the church, if we want joy, then we must pursue the humility, the mind of Christ, to get it. And as we enter into this Holy Week at Connect Church, I am blown away by where we're at today. It is so incredible what God and the Holy Spirit is doing. Uh, he knew, and, and this is holy ground stuff, he knew that in September, when we met at a staff retreat, and I had researched and planned and did all the, the prep work and praying, and you guys were praying for the staff, and as we outlined what we were going to be doing in all of 2021, and praying that it was a whole lot better than 2020 COVID. Uh, and anyways, so far, we'll see. But, but the truth of the matter was, as we were preparing and planning, as the Lord laid on my heart, and I said, man, I, I know I preached on this several years ago, but God is saying I need to go back through the book of Philippians. And I'm thinking, you know, well, we've been through it once. And, and, and I just, and as we prayed over it, and the Holy Spirit just confirmed in my heart. And so it was laid out in September. And who knew that back in September, that on Palm Sunday, the, the Sunday before all Sundays and Easter, in the book of Philippians, the one paragraph, the one paragraph, Chris, 
that talks about the cross is exactly where we would be at today. I'm telling you, God is moving in this place. God is enamored with you people. He loves you, and he is pouring truth into your lives. So get hungry. Get ready for the Holy Spirit to move in your life. We are on holy ground place where the Holy Spirit is moving in this, ch- in this church and in this text. Dr. Danny Aiken says, as he describes verses 5 through 11, he's a noted New Testament scholar. He says this, and he just says it in quotes in his commentary, this is holy ground text. I never knew this. I've read through this book countless times. But verses 5 through 11 is possibly, Tanner, one of the first hymns that we ever have recorded. It is actually a song that Paul wants the church at Philippi to begin singing. And ladies and gentlemen, Brother George, if we're on holy ground stuff, lesson number one, it's not in your notes. But if you really want to have joy in your journey, then you need to sing about the cross. You need to daily sing about the cross. Humility and unity. It keeps us in the right perspective. That's why it's so important for you to be at church. You realize you're setting an example. Everybody in your family's watching you. You want to be here. And you want them to know Jesus comes first in our life. Do you know how cool it is when we humble ourselves and we worship God in the cross by just being obedient to be here? This is what I love about our church. I don't know if they can see it online or not. You need, it just is so sweet and beautiful. On the front row, now the guys are really ugly, but uh, but on the front row, (laughs) those teen girls back there laughing at you guys, they know. Anyway, on the front row is filled with teenagers. And when, when we were singing, Jesus paid it all, Tanner. We had teens lifting their hands. It would do all of us good to get what they've got going. Amen. Thank you. George was clapping. And this is where I'm going with this. You all want to be more like George and Marie and Miss Linda. I'm seriously, you guys need to get the Holy Spirit like the teens and our older folks have got it. We have folks that were there when Moses parted the Red Sea. George was holding up the staff. (laughs) And Marie was going, let's go. (laughs) And here's the thing. It's a generational, Holy Spirit-driven worship. George and Linda were worshiping with their hands raised. Miss Marie was worshiping with her hands raised right behind teenagers with their hands raised. Folks, That's what holy ground stuff is. That's why we come today. It's the cross. It's the cross. It's the cross. You know what I love to sing? I love to sing songs about the cross. I drive Tanner and Andrew nuts because I can't remember the title of any song. I screw them all up. I can't remember how all the words go. Drives them nuts. But I know this. I know what I'm singing touches my heart. And I know this, when I think about singing about the cross in my weekly time, I love the old song, Victory, Victory in Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me. All I need is Jesus. Keep me 
in the moment. Keep me in the moment of the cross. Whenever all Satan and hell is coming against me, I will not look at my circumstances. I will not look at the evil one. I will stay in the moment with Jesus. Get behind me, devil, and go back to hell where you came from. Keep me in the moment. How great. It's a good one, Miss Marie. How great thou art. How great thou art. The one of my favorite all times is at the cross. At the cross, love ran red. At the cross, love ran red. Would you stand with me this morning as we read the word? Holy ground text, holy ground stuff. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, that's what you guys are doing here this morning in his house, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind, mind of Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also in the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves. Can I just stop for a second? I don't do this arrogantly, and I do it with all humility. But my, and I'm not lifting me up this morning, but my job as a pastor is to teach you guys to appreciate the Word of God and the pulpit of God. And whoever stands in this pulpit one day, uh, whatever happens next in my life or whatever happens, you need to know and you need to appreciate this. And I'm telling you, we take it for granted. Not me, but we take the position of preaching the Word of God for granted. Ladies and gentlemen, did you just read that phrase that we just got, having the mind of Christ? I'm telling you, doggone it. We need to be thankful that when we stand in a church and we attend a church, where the preacher doesn't tell you what you want to hear. He doesn't try to make you feel good about yourself. He doesn't give you nice little funny stories and, and try to entertain you. But what he preaches is found in the holy book because what you're going to need is you go through hell and face Satan all week long. You're not going to need a little short, cute ditty. You're not going to need just a little funny story. What you're going to need is the almighty God who sent his son to die on a cross. That's the kind of thinking that you're going to need in your life. And you better be John Brown thankful that you get to go to church where the Word of God's preached and the Word of God is saying. Just saying. It's no charge. Have this mind among yourselves, which is Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The all time transition. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Nobody is going to miss this. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and to the glory of God the Father and his people said, Man, I love this church. You may be seated. You guys are so awesome. What a privilege to preach at a church that loves the Word of God, that wants to know what he has to say. Probably one of the smartest men on the planet Earth today. I think he's 76 years of age, but he is noted New Testament scholar. You probably never read about him, but he's, he's, uh, he's like the hero for us preachers. D.A. Carson has written some heavy stuff on theology, and he writes and he points out five um, principles are five perspectives of the cross that I want to identify for you and I today. And uh, I want to talk to you about these five pros, uh, perspectives of the cross. And I, and I want to identify them for you this morning because I think it's just some rich stuff that you're going to discuss in Connect Groups tonight. The first one is God's perspective. Uh, we don't have this. Uh, yeah, we do have it. Good job. Uh, God's perspective. And I want you to just listen as you write these thoughts down because it's more important that you catch this. So, so think with me now. Look at me this morning. How does God, this is heavy. D.A. Carson raises the question, how does God see the cross? That's pretty profound, isn't it? How does God view the cross? He sees it as his son who died for the propitiation. It's a theological term. It means he paid the price we just sang he says my son absorbed the wrath and the judgment that was due humanity and he turned away my anger because he so loved the world that's how God sees the cross that's how God sees the cross how does Christ see the cross what's Christ's perspective of the cross that's a great question. Jesus obeyed his father perfectly. Notice what I said. Jesus obeyed his father perfectly, saying, not my will. Well, there would be a good phrase for you guys to pick up. Not my will, but your will be done. He carried out his assignment to give his life as a ransom for many. He became obedient even to the point of death. The death of the cross. Now here's an intriguing one that I bet you've never thought about. What is Satan's perspective? What, how does Satan view the cross? The cross means the accuser's defeat. It is his symbol of losing. The only thing that Satan fears, you realize, he is the most second powerful being to God. He's more powerful than you and I. I'm here to testify, but he fears and trembles at the cross. I love that. Would you like to get Satan off your back and leave you alone? Spend more time praying and singing the cross into your life, and he's going to go on to easier prey. That's the great lesson you've got to learn about Satan. He's not all-powerful, and when you begin to sing, and pray the cross into your life. He's moving on to the weaker one. He's going to go after the next one. That's how you defeat Satan. He can't hang with that. He can't hang with that. 
he can't hang with that. <laughs> because Jesus hung on the cross, he's defeated. He's a loser. He's a loser. You keep the cross at the center of your life, and he's defeated, and he knows it, and you remind him of that daily. What about sin's perspective of the cross? Well, I know if I've ever, ever heard that statement even. What is sin's perspective of the cross? Sin's perspective is, is that cross means the sin debt is paid. Oh, that's good. You want to write that down. Sin's perspective is, is the debt has been paid. The reason you need to remember the cross, you need to sing about it and pray about it into your life, is because it is the key to our salvation. The cross paid the debt that you can no longer pay. Now look at me. Y'all quit trying to be good church people. Y'all quit trying to be religious people. Y'all come to the house today not because you deserve to be here. You don't stay away because I had a bad week and I don't feel good about myself. Are you kidding me? The cross paid your sin debt. Now John Brown, get into the house and give God the glory. It's been paid. It's been paid and has nothing to do with us. Jesus paid it all. And then finally, this is where we're going to land today, our perspective. So what do you think? What do you think about the cross? What do you think, Mark, about the cross? What, what, what do you think, Jess, about the cross? Aaron, what do you think about the cross? David, what do you think about the cross? Johnny, what do you think about the cross? What's our perspective? While acknowledging all of these truths that I've just listed to you are factual, our perspective should be to treasure and love the justice, the justice. In this generation, what we're hearing every day, justice, you want to know real justice? Jesus paid your debt and mine and lets us walk out of here free today. We don't deserve that, but God put his justice on his son. So you and I could go free. His victory over Satan and sin. That's our perspective. And we must also note. Now look at me. That if all this is true. This, all this theology is true that we've just explained to you today. A little heavier this morning. But if all of this is true. Then it ought to change the way you live your life. You should live worthy of the cross. You should live worthy of the cross. So Paul makes this argument in our text today that for the church to adore and emulate the example of Christ in our daily life, and as a result of adoring and emulating Christ, we're going to experience the unity that he's talking about in chapter 2. You'll hear me this morning. Unity is never going to happen because I preach on unity. Uh, the truth of the matter is, let me say that again, unity in the church is never going to happen because I preach on unity. Unity in the church is going to happen if we humble ourselves and recognize that, you know what, 
I don't have to have, and I know we're all Baptists, and I'm looking around the room, and y'all been sitting for the last year and a half in the exact same spot in this church. I don't even know whether, I don't even have to look to see whether you're here or not. I know Terry and Becky's going to be back there. I know uh, where Danny and Susan's going to be at. I know uh, where James Petty's going to be sitting at. Uh, and I'm just telling, and, and I get all that, and I'm not complaining about that per se, but, but back in the day, I've literally been pastor of this church years ago. We don't have this stuff anymore. But, uh, but years ago, I remember we had a lady that said, went up to a new person that came into our church and literally told her, excuse me, Miss self-righteous hypocrite. And she was. You're sitting in my pew. I wanted to knock her out in the name of Satan. I'm just telling you. I mean, how dare we ever become arrogant to think that this is somehow my building, my look, the way it should be for me. I'm just telling you, our church is filled with people who've been wounded by religious hypocrites that have to have the air conditioner just right. I say turn it up so y'all feel like, man, man, I want to get saved because I don't want to go to hell. I'm just saying. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that. But the truth of the matter is, uh, man, I, I don't care whether you're that comfortable or not. When I'm saying we shouldn't have a coffee bar at our church. Well, maybe if you drank more coffee, you wouldn't be such a prune. The truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, we've become so selfish. And people are wounded by how people act in church, arrogance and pride. You want unity in church? It starts with humility. This is my church. It ain't your church. It ain't my church. It is Christ's church. There's only one person who bled and died for you. His name is Jesus, and he's the only one that has the worthy ability to be here today. But if you are saved and redeemed, then we have the ability to be here only because of Jesus. This church is filled with people who've been wounded by hypocrites and arrogant people who thought it was all about them. You want unity in the church? I'm so thankful that we have a business meeting now, and we rarely have them. You can't have a Baptist church without a monthly business meeting. We've got to tell the preacher what to do. How about the preacher listen to the Holy Spirit? You get on board and let God help us go reach our community and shut up about the rest of the stuff. Are you with me? And that's exactly what God is doing here. Unity happens when we humble ourselves and say it's all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Paul knew that that would be a problem in the early church. He says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each one of you look not only on his own interest, but on the other and the interest of others. It is the mind of Christ that happens in our life. Sadly, you know the result of a lack of humility and a lack of unity on the mission of the church? Pastors are writing about this today, and I think they're right. When we don't have humility and the church is about us, You can go to church when everything has to be according to your, you're coming to judge the performance 
Well, I don't think the preacher really had it today. Tanner just wasn't on. He's wearing that Arkansas shirt and blah, blah, blah. It was too loud, too soft, whatever. And we, and we come to judge. And we go back and we, and you know what we do? We get on the phone and say, well, you know, I just didn't like this about the service today. I didn't like that about the service. Who puts you in the position to be a critic of how the church went off today? If you come with that mindset, you're wasting your time by being here. The truth of the matter is, how many times, if you come with that mindset, you can go to church for six months and never have the Holy Spirit do anything in the church or in your life and you don't even notice it. What pastors are saying today is churches are gathering and the critics come in for the show and they evaluate how things are going and we walk out of here and we can go six months, a year, or even two years. We've had that season in this very church, Danny, and you know it. And the truth of the matter is, is we can go for a whole year and never see anybody get saved, never see any life changes, and you know what? We don't even think anything thing about it because you know what we're doing the church religious thing and the southern culture thing and we haven't seen God move in a year God's not even in the building with us and we don't care and we don't even notice that he's not there ouch the reason you need to be here is because you need the Holy Spirit to speak into your life you need him you need him. You need him. And when we come together in humility for him, all we care about is these guys getting the gospel, the lost getting the gospel, and we're going to do everything to fight hell to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. You with me this morning? Unity, humility leads us to the cross of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so let me illustrate to you this way. Uh, I've been pretty rough on you. Let me s- illustrate to you in a humorous way. Four guys get into an airplane. A pilot, I, I totally butchered this in the first service, so I'm going to do better. I mean, let me think. A pilot, um, a uh, computer whiz tech guy, thinks he's, you know, uh, Nick, and, and, uh, and then uh, a uh, Boy Scout and a preacher. And these four guys, it sort of sounds like the old joke that you used to tell about a priest, a rabbi, and, uh, and a preacher went into a bar, but we're not going to do that one. Anyway, uh, anyway, sorry, sorry. Anyway, sorry, sorry, stop. But all right, so uh, the, uh, who, who, where was we at? It was the Boy Scout, the computer whiz guy, and the pilot, and a Boy Scout, and no preacher, and a preacher, uh, the preacher, yeah. They were all in the plane. <laughs> Jeez, I'm so good at this. And uh, they all get in a plane, and the plane starts going down. And the plane's going to go down, it's going to crash, you know, all that. And so the pilot jumps out of the cockpit, and he runs back, and he grabs the parachute. They've, oh, that, yeah, that's the other part of the story. Doggone, I forgot. The other part of the story, they've only got three parachutes on the plane. That's critical to the funny story. So they've only got three parachutes on the plane and four people on the plane. We've established the ground rules. So now, the, now track with me. <laughs> this is really funny. So the, the, the pilot jumps out of the plane, and he grabs the first parachute and uh he says listen i got a wife and two kids at home and man i can't afford to die today or any day just die anyway and so he jumps out of the plane first and then the computer whiz guy he comes in and he goes uh i have my brain is just so big and i have so much knowledge of computer stuff that the world desperately needs the world cannot handle it if i die because i'm so smart and so he takes the parachute and jumps out of the plane. And then the preacher and the Boy Scouts, all that's left. 
Remember, we've got only one pair of shoes. Remember, okay. And so the preacher and the Boy Scout, and the preacher looks at the Boy Scout, and he says, so, son, we've only got one pair of shoes left. And he said, I've lived a good life, and I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, and you've got your whole life in front of you, son. You Boy Scout buddy, you take the last parachute, and, you know, God bless you. And the little Boy Scout looks at him, and he goes, Preacher, it's all okay. He said, we're going to be just fine. He said, you remember that guy that thought he was smarter than everybody else in the world, couldn't survive without him? He took my backpack, and all that's in it is my lunch, and we're, we're good to go. Uh, so anyway... <laughs> I told you, that's really funny. So anyway, uh, how we do this whole thing of Christianity is that we think that the church needs us. We think that the church has got to have me and my money to be able to survive. I got news for you. We're all going to survive without you. We're all going to survive without me. We're all going to go on because the church is not about you. It's not about me. It is about the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you want to land on your feet, then you're going to adopt the mind of Christ and his humility, and it's going to bring unity to what we do as a church. This is why Paul says in verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And I am so grateful that that is exactly what is happening at Connect Church. The humble person, by the way, is not one who thinks poorly of himself. The humble person understands that he's made in Christ's image. It's not that, woe is me, I'm terrible, I can't do anything. No, the humble person is one who understands himself according to Romans 12, 2, who yields himself. Know that we've been made in the image of God, but the key term that you want to write down and discuss tonight in your connect groups, the key term that you want to understand if you have humility or not is if all you talk about and all you pray about is yourself, you need to learn there's a great word that starts with an O, and this has got to become the transforming word of your life. It's called others. If all you ever talk about is woe is me, woe is my situation, woe, 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 me, 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 I'm telling you, then I'm telling you, you have a problem with pride, and you're not helping this church, and you're not helping yourself. True humility the mind of Christ is others. Others, others, others. And that's happening here at Connect Church. Truth be told, we're in a season of discipleship here at our church. And this is, this is our church family. We are wrestling with people that are struggling with addictions. Well, pastor, that's not going to be very good. You're supposed to have a church. We have folks in this church that are struggling with alcoholism, and it's destroying their lives. We have folks that are struggling with drug addictions, and it's destroying their lives. We have people in our church that are struggling with porn addictions, and it's destroying their marriages, sex addictions. And we're dealing with it. Belen said on the way home last night, I was coming back and, uh, from visiting our son in Nashville, and this is just the season that we're in, and it's glorious. We're hitting record attendance in our church, five straight months. We've told you about all the stuff that God's doing. But you know what the other side of the coin is? Ministry's never been messier, harder, and darker than what we're going through. Belen said it well last night. She said, you know, in the last two years here at Connect Church, you've had, and the deacon board has disciplined more people 
for moral failures than we have in the 30 years of ministry combined. We've had to discipline more people. And it's a tough season. But that's what ministry is. This is your joy is not in your circumstances. When you do ministry right, that means you're going to have pain. Because you know what we used to do? We used to sugar, you know, coat it. It's, as long as you all dress up and you wear your nice little dresses on Sunday and you guys look all churchy, then everything's roses and butterflies and it's all good. And that's a big old lie. We know what's going on behind the scenes. Our lives are jacked up. We're screwed up. We've got all kinds of problems. And you know what Connect Church is doing? We're being honest. We're rolling up our sleeves and we're diving in. Some people like it and some people don't. You're going to find out that there is pain in true ministry. But to change means pain pain. To change means pain and that we humble ourselves. You understand that when Jesus went to the cross it was not a rosy love fest. Oh we're going to have a great time on Sunday, next Sunday on Easter. But you realize he bled. He died. His body was broken. He was spit upon. He was cursed upon. And why? Because in the pain he was able to bring the glory of God into our lives. And how in the world we think we can shortchange that I, I don't understand. But here's what happens when you find joy in the midst of your pain. This was a testimony that was shared with me this week. This person has had devastating death in their family. I'm talking about no rational way to make this look good. It just absolutely stinks what is happening in this person's life. And yet, here's her testimony. This week I've cried. I've cried all week over the loss that's happened in my family. But yet in the midst of that, I'm now in a different place because my tears of sorrow have turned to joy. Because this week, while I personally am hurting from the loss in my life, I was able to share the plan of salvation with my uncle, who's in his 70s and have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of what happened in our family, I was able to tell him about Jesus. I was able to witness to my brother, who is lost and he doesn't know Jesus. I was able to tell him about what God is doing at Connect Church and what God is doing in my life. In the midst of my pain, I have peace. Dare I say it, I have joy. And then... There was a lady this week on mission, on mission, who walked into my place of business. And in the midst of my sorrow and in the midst of my sadness, humility keeps you unified to the mission of our lives. I invited this lady and her two little kids to the Easter egg hunt. And that lady wept and hugged me because she said, nobody has ever invited me to know about Jesus in the church. And she said, thank you for loving me and caring for me. You see what happens when we humble ourselves and say, God, take me through the pain of this life. Change me. You be my comfort. And as he does, he brings tears of joy into your life. Why? Because you've adopted the mind of Christ. It's no longer you and I. It's the mind of Christ. What is this? It's what we've been teaching you for three weeks. I don't know why y'all won't get it. Joy is an attitude 
of the heart determined by confidence in God. All right, I'm already three minutes in the red, so here's what we're going to do. You're going to write fast, and we're going to wrap this up. How do you practically obtain the mind of Christ? Number one is you adopt his humble renunciation. This is how you obtain practically the mind of Christ. You adopt his humble renunciation in church history. We find that the nature of Jesus has been debated throughout the years. In the Council of Nicaea, in A.D. 325, the leading theologian of the day, a a man by the name of Athanasius, won the argument about the biblical position that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And we stand on that theological magnificent creed to this day. But here's the thing. So what does that mean to me, the average Joe, the average Je- Sally, the average Becky Jim in the, in the audience today? Here's what it means. It means the humility of Jesus. Verse 6, who thought, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, but uh, God a thing to be grasped. In other words, this phrase highlights that Jesus renounced. When he came, Jesus renounced in his, his position in heaven. He renounced his fellowship with the, the Trinity. He renounced his authority as the creator of all of us. He renounced all of that to be willing to come and die for a sinful people like you and I. And every day of my life, I pray that prayer into my life. Are you listening to me? Every morning, I begin my day Jesus, thank you for renouncing your glory. And because you did, I put on the breastplate of your righteousness. If that will not help you start your day out with humility and unity, I don't know what will. I celebrate every morning of my life the renunciation of Jesus in his glory because he loved me. His humble incarnation. The word incarnation is, a, incarnation is a church term. It's a theological term that simply means God became man. Paul speaks of Jesus coming in the flesh. Christ refused to hold on to his divine rights. Oh, and get this, he veiled his deity, verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. You talk about humility. Do y'all want joy in your life? Take on the mind of Christ. Here's how we explain the incarnation. He veiled his glory to come save you. There were missionary, uh, Brian Chappelle tells a story of being in Africa. And there was an Indian tribal uh, king. He had the headdress, the robe. That declared he was the strongest man, the chief of his village. He was the supreme. And one day, one of his servants was down in the deep well, and that's to retrieve water. And the rickety way that they got down into the well broke, and the guy fell, and he broke his leg, and he was going to die. Broken and wounded in the well at the bottom. And every man tried to figure out how they could get down that deep, dark, cavernous well. But none of them were strong enough and capable to get down to the bottom of the well and then be able to carry the man out and all of that ratchety stairs that they had. And so they summoned 
the chief. And he came with his robe. And he came with his headdress, identifying himself as the royalty. And the chief looked at his servant that was broken at the bottom of the well. And Miss Marie, he took off his headdress, his crown. He took off his robe and dropped it. And he climbed down into that deep, dark, nasty well. And because he was the only one that was worthy and capable and strong enough, and he picked up the servant, and he climbed his way out of the deep well and rescued the man. And that is exactly what Jesus did for you and I in the incarnation. And number three, his humble crucifixion. And you know what we do. Those of you who have been in church all your life, preacher on Palm Sunday, you need to preach about the blood and you need to preach about the, the, the hideous form of brutality that happened to Christ on the cross. We're not doing that today. Look at me. You know that. You've heard that over and over again to the point that you're almost numb to the details of the pain of the cross. And it's a valid, worthy sermon. Preached it countless times. And we'll do it again. But you know it. You know it. You know it. The problem is we've never focused on the humility of the cross. The humility of the crucifixion. It's not just about the physical suffering. It has a peace in it. But it's really about the humility and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. I have no words to describe to you how painful the cross was to illustrate it to you again. But ladies and gentlemen, maybe the reason we're not running into God's house, maybe the reason we're not hungry for God to put it down, I don't care what we're going through, I'm going to worship God no matter what. Maybe we're not hungry enough for God because we have not adopted the humility of what Christ did and laid down for us. C.S. Lewis writes in his book of, called Miracles. And this is it. In the Christian story, God descends to re-ascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity. He goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. Somebody say amen. That's what we remember today, the humility of the cross. Well, Pastor Terry, where does that lead us? It leads us into understanding the fourth principle today of the text is his exalted position. So where is Christ today, Alan? Where is Christ today, Barry? Where is Christ today? Where's he at, Michael? Where's he at today? He's in an exalted position. The pain, the agony, the humility of the cross is not the end of the story. So are you with me this morning? Would you like to know where he's at today? Would you like to know how this story ends? Then please stand with me. Because I'm telling you, this hymn, this text today is worthy for everyone to proclaim. In the final three verses of this chapter, we're going to read it together. 
We're going to do this service differently because we don't do things the same way every week. This is a Holy Spirit-driven church, ladies and gentlemen. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this together. On the count of three, this is his exalted position. You ready? One, two, three. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you look at me this morning and you go, wow, Pastor Terry, that is an incredible revelation of where God is at today. So how in the world does that impact my life and how I'm going to live this week, guess what? You come back next Sunday, and I ain't telling you today, you got to come back next Sunday, because that's what it's all about. Would you bow with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the message this morning. We thank you for reminding us of how to humble ourselves. But Father, if there's one here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, would you just let them come right now? Father, in the quietness of the moment, we're not going to sing a verse of invitation, but in the quietness of the moment, Nobody else looking around. Church members are praying. Just you and me, guys. Would you just look at me this morning? And would you just lift up your hand? Nobody else looking around and say, Pastor Terry, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure if I, if I died right now, I would go to heaven. Would you just slip up your hand right now? Would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor Terry, pray for me. Thank you. Got it. Put it right back down. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to come get you. Would you just slip up your hand? I'm not sure if I died right now, if I would go to heaven. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for your spirit moving in our midst. God, we don't want anybody. Oh, God, I think the greatest crime and shame of all when somebody would come to church, listen to a message like this, and then walk out and die and go to hell. God, we want everybody to be saved. Now look at me, church. Are you struggling with joy? Are you struggling to find joy in your journey? Could it be that you've not adopted the mind of Christ? You've not humbled yourself yet. You're still not there. Because when you humble yourself and you realize what he's done for you, you realize, I don't have to do this alone. I don't have to fight this battle. And because the victory of the cross, I can win. Jesus in me. Jesus in me. He takes our broken pain. He goes down into our pit and he walks us out as a new healed creation. And if you believe that this morning, then let's worship him and praise him and then go and do likewise. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.